Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so glad you're coming every week and that you're leaving me notes and reminders of things you would like to see us do. And I'm very happy and honored to say that we have someone actually in the house besides me this week. (laughs) And even though I love sharing little snippets of my upcoming memoir, I really love talking to people and not just hearing myself. So today we have a guest. Yay, everybody. Yay. So in the house today, we have Karen Olavito. She is a bishop in the United Methodist Church. Born on Good Friday and raised in Babylon in New York State, she has served in parish and campus ministry settings, was associate dean at Pacific School of Religion, and has been an adjunct professor at several seminaries. She served as the lead pastor of the 12,000-member Glide Memorial Church in San Francisco. She is the author of Holy Conversations, Talking About Homosexuality, Those Strangely Warmed Hearts, coming out into God's call, and together at the table, diversity without division in the United Methodist Church. She is the first openly LGBTQ bishop in the UMC. She is married to Robin Ridenour, a deaconess and retired nurse anesthetist. They met when they were both staff for a junior high church camp. So... Bishop Karen, welcome. Welcome to the Game Thank you. Great to be with you today. (laughs) And please give your beloved my apologies for almost getting her name correct, even after I passed you. (laughs) I will. I certainly will. All right. Well, we welcome you. And I know just because I have some similar friends as you, that um, you have lots of stories to tell. And I hope that we get to as many of them as we possibly can. But first, let's just start with your story. How did you come out and how did your life evolve? Tell us your story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I mean, you gave it, right? I mean, Born on Good Friday, raised in Babylon, what more is there to say, right? That's a pretty heavy (laughs) theological background. Yes, ma'am. A foundation for a life. Um, I, uh, you know, my spiritual life and my sexuality are pretty much entwined, right? As, as, I mean, sexuality and spirituality are. I, um, uh, my first impression of the church, my mother was or I was three years old, my mom took me to a Presbyterian church and I screamed bloody murder. I was that kid that had to be brought out of the church. Clearly, I was not meant to be Presbyterian. No. <laughs> um, she took me to a Methodist church because it had a good Sunday school and I thrived in it. And I loved the stories of faith. I loved um, I loved the music, right? We United Methodists, we learn our faith through our hymns, and uh, and at 11 years old, I had my call to ministry. Wow. And began to prepare for ministry at that time. Everything I did from then on was to, 
to be able to be a United Methodist pastor. I preached my first sermon at 16. I uh, became a, a choir director at that time. At 18, I was uh, hired by my local church. Very grateful for this. Um, I had a local church that took call and young people seriously. Oh. And anybody who had an inkling of a call, we were hired over the summer. Wow. The minister, this was pre-cell phone. This tells you, you know, uh -huh. how old I am. <laughs> um, he, had a, he had a cottage in Maine. He could only call by uh, pay phone. And for two months, he said, here's the keys to the church. I'll call you once a week to see how things are. And it just confirmed, this is what I'm called to do. Well, things went well until I went to seminary. And like most people, I came out in seminary. I um, had no interest in dating. You know, I said it's because I'm so clear on what my call is. That comes first. <laughs> when I got to the Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, there were so many out and proud gay men and, and lesbians at, at, and um their stories sounded sp suspiciously like my own. <laughs> and I really wrestled that first year. You know, seminary deconstructs you. Uh, you know, for those of you who haven't been to seminary, it deconstructs everything you've, you've every truth you've known, and, and then you have to rebuild. Um, and, and I literally ran away after my first year of seminary. I hopped on a bus in Oakland, California, and ran away as far as you possibly can and still remain in North America. I went to Nova Scotia, Canada, wow. where my parents were. And I just cried and cried and cried. And somewhere in probably Utah, I think it was, I was, I, I was you know, my, my crying, I, I just like, had so emptied myself and I was able to say I'm a lesbian wow and the miracle wow. was that whole first year of seminary was the first time in my life God was silent mm -hmm. it's like God was always so intensely close to me but God wasn't that first year of seminary but the minute I said I'm a lesbian God was back I mean God was wow. present and I experienced that that peace which passes all understanding and and I learned something, you know, God is with us, right? God never leaves us. We run from God when we don't claim who God created us to be. Ooh, say that again. We God. run from God. God never leaves us. We leave God. We run from God when we don't live into who God created us to be. Ah, uh, that is so powerful. That is so powerful because I think many of us feel like God is not with us when we're in those moments. And I don't think that we've ever contemplated the fact that God is present even in the silence and especially mm -hmm. celebrates when we finally get it, <laughs> whatever yeah. we've been struggling on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mm. Wow. So let me ask, let me go back and ask this. When you said you were 18, you were a choir director and you were hired for over the summer. Were you hired to preach or to do to choir? Be a, yes, to be a student pastor. Student no, I was at 16. My church sent many of us to Westminster Choir College to be choir directors. Okay. So from 16 to 18, I did that. I was, you know, 
junior high youth group leader. But at 18, me and others became student pastors. Wow. And did everything, did everything. Wow. I, I mean, at 18, I was running a 250 student vacation Bible school, two-week vacation Bible school. Good gracious. I, I, it, was, it was such a great, and it was just so confirming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my, my, my commitment to my call never wavered. I mean, the wonderful thing is, um, you know, it, it, I learned at an early age, God loves me. Mm. God loves me unconditionally. God accepts me unconditionally. The hard thing was recognizing when I came out, suddenly the church, which had been the vessel of this unconditional love, suddenly made that love conditional and that was very hard to reconcile Mm -hmm. very hard yeah tell me about that part of the journey because I can only imagine because I I remember being in youth group being president of the youth group thinking that I was gonna you know follow a path of missionary work or some kind of work in the church and then when you realize that the the people you've been hanging with the people who have validated your skills and validated all that you are takes a u-turn when they hear the word gay or even, you know, when they might not hear it, but you know how they think about it. (laughs) How did you sustain not only your faith, but your calling? Yeah, well, you know, part of it, this is 1981 when I came out, right? I'm 64. Back then, there was the closet, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we knew that there would be a part of our lives that would not be lived out in the open at that point or in very uh, specific public spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I, I think in, in any case, following Jesus is costly, mm. right? I mean, it, it, you know, it, it is such a countercultural, radical life, and it costs us something, no matter who we are. But for me as a lesbian, it was like, okay, this is going to cost me some comfort. Mm-hmm. And and that's how I understood it. I my call to ministry. I you know I used to think of easy way outs because it's like who wants who wants to have this church that's condemning. But you know at every level of the church, my ministry was affirmed. Was I closeted early on? But you know you never you never not embody your sexuality, right? I never I never I never. Um, tried to suppress it. I never tried to pass, right? I mean, I walked in a room. I was confident that I was a lesbian walking into that room. Um, There were words I knew I couldn't say in the United Methodist Church, though. But my ministry over and over and over again was affirmed at every level of the church. And so I kept being faithful to that call. So, so... I'm trying to imagine how that must must have looked like for you. So you know you're lesbian, you're proud of it, you embody it, the church is against it, you're going through seminary, you finish seminary. Did it never even come up? Did anyone ever ask you the question? So hey. <laughs> yeah. You know, I lived with I lived with a partner in nineteen eighty-three in upstate New York in a parsonage. And this is, you know, this is so hard for for current generations of queer folks. You know, people were like so happy that I had a friend for those long winters, right? Yes, yes. Right? It just never crossed people's minds. Okay. There what we they go. knew, what they knew was that 
we were family for each other. That was something they could understand. So, yeah, for the church, um, you know, I just, I, I kept showing up. Yeah. And and the irony, I mean, what was difficult was um, my ministry wound up in San Francisco, back in San Francisco again. You know, after mm-hmm. going to seminary, I went back to New York to serve in rural upstate New York. Then, well, I, I did. One of the, knowing that my place in the church was precarious, you know, I, I love academics, so I started working a PhD because I thought if ever I can't serve in the parish, which I totally love, I can train pastors because I love mentoring. Mm-hmm. So I did go get a PhD. Um, I wound up back in San Francisco as a campus pastor and then was invited to take a church in San Francisco. Never would have thought it. That's probably the greatest tension that I experienced because here now, you know, it's 1989 now. AIDS has pushed so many gay men out of the closet. And so the gay community is changing. And I... Um, you know, still had this, you know, denomination that didn't allow for openly LGBTQ mm, people mm. To, to pastor. So I was out in the gay community. I was out in my local church. And, you know, people, people honored that tension, mm. even if they didn't always agree with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the gay community supported you or did they have is the tension because the gay community they didn't challenge, want you? They, no yeah. you know it was, it was a little bit of both right uh-huh yeah i mean there was this tension but i was i was also taking a lot of risks as a united methodist pastor i was doing mm-hmm. holy unions i mean my 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 um my church was half queer and half straight you know, there was no way I could refuse someone's holy union at the time. This is pre-marriage equality. I was being arrested every year for marriage equality for the for the activism work I was doing. I performed the first same-gender legal wedding in a United Methodist Church. Um, I, you know, so I, I was doing the the work to change systems both within the church and uh, beyond and wow so people respected me for that yeah i respect you for that <laughs> you know and that's it's it's funny when you started talking about this and you were telling me how quickly you were getting into your ministry and how early on you knew definitively what your calling was it was like man she's being primed for the big stage she's got she, little did you know at 11 years old that you were going you know, to be the first minister of the umc to do a you know, a, a legal marriage. I mean, come on now. That's just a great story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. You know, and, and if you asked me, I always would have thought I would do my whole ministry in rural upstate New York, right? And have the parsonage next to the church and pray <laughs> before football games. I, you know, I, I just tried to stay open to where the Holy Spirit was leading me, mm-hmm. but never would have thought it would lead to then becoming the first openly LGBTQ bishop in the United Methodist Church. Yeah. So so before we go there, how how open was your family through all of this? Did you struggle with family and friends growing up as you once you just 
of course, you didn't come out until you were in seminary. So did they ever have an inkling, your family? Do you know? Well, you know, my sisters, you know, you know, the woman's always the last to know. Uh, you know, my sisters are like, oh, we knew, you know, my mother, <laughs> my mother had a hard time um, where I came out to her and she literally, it broke her heart. She had a heart attack. Oh, no. She literally did. And um, but back then, I just thank God for Phil Donahue and Oprah Winfrey and you know, all the people who were showing what uh, happy, well-adjusted, queer people looked like, sounded like what they did. And my mom became my my staunchest cheerleader and supporter. And when, when I had, um, when my election was challenged and had to go to the United Methodist Supreme Court, the, the Judicial Council, my mom sat right behind me and Aww. just was such a rock. And in oh. fact, I wasn't going to go because I was never really named in it when, when, when you know, the, 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 the conservatives were so fearful that an openly LGBTQ person would be elected bishop that they had formed a question of law that didn't, didn't have anybody's name on it because they didn't know if and who it would be. So I'm like, that doesn't have my name on it. I'm not going. And my mother was like, well, I'm going. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, you know, I've I've my family. I have a I have not just a twig or two of queer a family. I have like whole big branches of queer family members. So I have a very queer family, and um, <laughs> we we uh, yeah, it's kind of like gay pride when when we have family reunions. Oh, you have a great sense of humor. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So, so we know that you've been arrested every year for doing your work. <laughs> so how have you ever been in danger? Has there ever been times where being gay has put you in any kind of danger um, in the communities that you've served? Well, um, when I became Bishop, um, there were a lot of people trying to make sure I was not successful so that they mm. could say, see, this is. And so there was a lot of undermining of my ministry. In fact, right now there's a whole Twitter blow up over my commitment to support vulnerable populations. And that me includes um, Muslims uh, in the United States and um and people have used my commitment to, to, uh, to stand in solidarity and love to um, say really horrible things about me. Mm. Um, mm. And so I needed a bodyguard for the first 18 months, my spouse Robin and I, for the first 18 months that I was a bishop. Mm. Um, and, and did, I never knew when I walked in a church cause I cover Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and a part of Salmon, Idaho. And I knew when I was elected, like, what is this thing that, that has happened to us in this area? Who, what, what is this person who's a, a lesbian and is oh, married? God. I knew that I would have to visit all the churches and be very, you know, be vulnerable with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also how I understand leadership. You can't lead unless you know people. And so, but I never knew, would I be welcomed? Would I be uh, met with violence? Mm -hmm. And so I um, 
I would literally sit in every single parking lot and pray before I went in, God, give me an, an, an undefended heart and let me be generous in love. Mm. Because if I went in fearful, if I went in defended, mm-hmm. that would only um, meet, meet the, it would ra- raise the anxiety. Mm-hmm. But if I went in vulnerable and wanting to meet people where they were, it really disarmed people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were looking for the chip on your shoulder. And right, they- and so... Yeah. So the, so th- there was a there was a whole big grapevine thing going around my annual conference. If you want to keep not liking the bishop, don't meet her. Wow. But that's just it. We you know for me, the, the, the grounding of my faith is love. This radical love. God doesn't break solidarity with us. And we are called to offer that same kind of solidarity to one another. That's what Jesus beckons us to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Jesus movement is is not really known by a lot of people. You would think that would be, especially for long-term church people. Right. But they really don't embrace the part of Jesus that is doing the work that you do or that did the work that you do. They don't see that as... Okay, when they say neighbors, they're not just talking about the person living right next door. We're talking about all people, you know, all exactly. faiths, all genders, all sexuality. And and I just am always amazed at how unJesus like most most people can be, even long-term Christian and church it's people. So sad. So it sad. really is sad yeah. because it's so much more happy to do it his way. <laughs> well, that's well, that's just it. This life of faith that Jesus offers us is joyful, right? I mean, dour Christians just are like, "Oh, you're so missing out on." And and I think okay, and I think that's one of the gifts queer people bring to the church, mm-hmm. right? We bring the joy. Yeah, 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 and because we. I think we struggled so hard to get there. A lot of us, I mean, for those of us who really lost, lost our, our ability to have faith for a while, because it was like, for me, I know it was like, okay, if you, when I felt like it was taken from me, like I didn't have a choice, you couldn't be gay with God. You were either gay or you were a Christian. That was your choices. And so I felt it was taken from me. And when I was finally able to do the journey to reclaim it and say, no, wait, you don't have a right to take that from me. You never did. Exactly. And I'm, I'm going to take it back. And when, and even though it was traumatic to go back for me, and it really was a longer journey than I w- would have wanted it to be. Um, now that I'm back, honey, I am, I am loving every single second of it. I just, I get scared at certain things. I mean, I have to check out every new bit, <laughs> preacher that comes in. We've had, I don't know if you know, but um, our priest had to have a liver transplant. So I, I come into the leaning back into coming to regular church and I find this Episcopal church of all things in the middle of Ashboro, North Carolina, the only Episcopal church in our County, all of our County. And I find this amazing priest who was so affirming and welcoming, but I interviewed him for probably an hour and a half to try to trip him up to say what he really thought about gay people. And, (laughs) and he really is affirming and he didn't get tripped up. And so coming then after I got to church and I was actually getting into the 
onto the pew and sitting there and, and participating, then he has to go out for this liver transplant. And so we had people to fill in. So my anxiety of those sermons that I would hear, you know, growing up from the pulpit about how gay people were going to hell and were an abomination, yada, yada. And it scared me every single time a new person came up to, to preach because I was afraid I would hear that again, even though I was told the, the Episcopal Church, you know, has rules about inclusivity and and all that stuff. It didn't matter because I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know what you really wow. believe. And I had to interview them. And I would I would go up and I would find a time to have alone time and just ask the question, how do you really feel about gay people and God? And wow. every single one that I, I talked to, we've had several now, um, and every single one really is affirming. And that's I'm not awesome. saying that every person is out there that's right. in the Episcopal right. Church, and I know they weren't in the beginning. They were very much against homosexuality in the beginning, but um, similar to what I think the United Methodist Church is going through, we had to have our split before we could become affirming. So, you know, it's it's a, it's still a scary thing for people to come back yeah. to the church. And that's why I love this podcast, because I want to continue to affirm for our community. Yes, you can. Yes, you can be gay. You can be with God. God never left you. Just like you said, Amen. never. Amen. Left you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we still, and I think that's why we bring the joy. That's why I went on that little tangent because we are finally so happy that we can we can come back in faith and we can stand there and go through the questions and the doubts and the, and the feelings of anger about how it's been, but still be there and know that we are loved and accepted by God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what I really would have done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> who knows but wow. but it's all a journey right and you never know i wouldn't have been thinking i ever would have done a gay with god podcast either so we never know what things um you know god has in store for us if we just keep leaning in and keep saying yes yep so let's talk a little bit about you being an openly lgbtq gay lesbian in the united methodist church and you guys are going through some questions and some some hard times right now so what is your perspective on on that journey that your beloved denomination is going through yeah and you said it it is my beloved denomination mm -hmm. right i mean it, mm -hmm. it uh, you know i've committed my life to serving yes. through it yes um it's it's really hard to see um you know, I don't think it's going to, you know, I, I, it's funny. People have challenged, challenged the, the language we're using. It's not a split. Okay. There's some people who, there's a, there's a group that's going to break off. That's a split is, right, 50-50, yeah. let's just tear down uh -huh. the middle. It's not. And I think that what will be left in the United States, at least, is an inclusive denomination, Um that will be able to focus its mission and outreach in ways we haven't been able to because we've been doing so much infighting. Mm. That's the hope. Mm. Um, I, I worry about the young people that will be raised in the breakaway churches or church mm -hmm. um, because you can't legislate against us, mm. right? You can't legislate, you can't, form a church on who you're leaving out because you're 
God's going to bless your church with gay kids. Mm-hmm. And those, I worry about them. I mm-hmm. worry about them a lot. But, um, you know, I, so it's going to be rocky. It's going to be rough the next couple of years. But I think I think for, for younger clergy, it's going to be an incredible opportunity to create a church that really has, I mean, the United Methodist Church, you know, we're, we are grounded in an, a deep personal piety and a robust social witness. And I think we'll be able to have that again. I think that, that over the course of the last decade or more, we, we've strayed from that because of the infighting. Mm. I, I know I know just enough about it to, <laughs> to, to have many questions. So we have a local UMC church here, and the pastor is absolutely amazing. And she does a great ministry, and many gay people are attending her church. Mm-hmm. And she has a morning service and a, a like an early morning service and another service. And so um, a lot of a lot of the gay folks go to the first service because it's like drums and music and joyful. And uh, and some of the older congregation <laughs> goes to the other service. So. I was so fearful when I was hearing that this was coming, that because she is so inclusive and she is so great at standing up for social justice. And we've, we have found ourselves at some of the same events because she is out there. She's prayed in front of our, uh, our community because of a statue that's up there wow, that should wow. not be. I mean, she is on fire. I love her. I really love her. And she's amazing. Um, so her name is Linda Ferguson, by the way, and I'm just calling her out because she's a, she's a wonderful pastor and uh, I've got great connections uh, with people in her church. And so um, I was so fearful that they would actually kick her out <laughs> because she is when this breakaway happens, she really wants to keep this church going inclusively. And um, I heard I, I saw her post that she is you know still the pastor there. Um and I think there's going to be like a waiting period of a couple of years before a vote is actually taken. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know whether or not um, is it, do you, is there going to be like one big vote for all churches in the U.S. or is it going county by county or state by uh, state? No, I, if 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 people at this point because we because COVID has stopped us from having our global gathering okay. at this point our, our global gathering will be in 2024 there are people and churches who feel that's an untenable weight and so they're looking to disaffiliate now so it's the churches that want to leave that will be voting um churches that want to stay they don't they don't have to vote you know okay so if her yeah. church wants to stay inclusive they don't have to vote and they'll just keep doing their thing exactly awesome okay and the people in that church if the church itself so they're not voting because they would not be voting because more than more most of them would want to stay anybody that's gruntled about that they right And, and 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 so i do think that that we'll see some well for instance when i came to this region there were people who just marched out of the church right and so um and so we've seen those losses already in my region. Mm-hmm. Other other places haven't had that um, that same situation. So I think we'll see some churches lose some people. Mm-hmm. But again, I think what it'll do is help say, you know, we're not, 
we're not going to fight over this anymore. We're, we're actually going to witness even more to, to just God's generous love in even more visible ways. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that for you guys. I really, really do. And I, and I will pray for that because I know that the ministry that happens at that United Methodist church for those young folks is just amazing, just amazing. And, you know, had I not found the affirming uh, because I had been to that church before years and years ago, my, my now wife and I, uh, when I moved here, we went there one Sunday and it was like, Nope. <laughs> we we could tell that it just was not going to be a place that we could be inclusive wow. or, or able to to go. But now, you know, under her tutelage, I wow. mean, she has made it just so open and so wonderful and um, is is very committed to our to I have a friend who is going through transition right now and and he has found a home and he is beloved oh. there and he feels important. And he, I mean, he's just, I don't think he would have made it had she not been you know, wow. there to support him. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And the, the, the parish that I'm at is, you know, had I not found father Joe and there were several of my friends that I found out later were, well, before I went, I found that they were going there and I said, why do you go to an Episcopal church? I just couldn't imagine. It just, to me, felt so tight. But they they, they knew that they were there and that they had been affirmed and, and they loved it. So, mm-hmm. yay. Yay. That's what it's all about. It, that is what it is all about. And, and your service, you know, to so many people, being bold enough to be you, and to not back down from that, that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of faith to know that, you know, this is not the, the, the best of times to, to, to be in the situation that you're in, but you have made it your, your ministry. Well, and- it, it, well it's been so critical here, here, you know, I think the sin of the church has been, they talk about us, but they don't talk with us. Right. Ooh, yeah. And so for me to be present in Council of Bishops meetings mm-hmm. when the, the bishops are talking about LGBT people, and it's like, you're talking about me, right? Yeah. You're talking about yeah. me. And, and, and to be that physical reminder mm-hmm. that, oh, we're talking about people's lives. We're not, mm-hmm. This is not an abstract exercise in, yeah. in theology. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think that's an important reminder is that when you are condemning someone else, you may be speaking to the person you're condemning. It may be a person in your family, exactly. you know, somebody exactly. that you really, really love, and you just don't know this piece about them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so in your opinion, what would be the thing that, that all churches need to do in order to be more joyful and to be more Jesus? You know, it's funny. We are people of the book, right? We study scripture. But those are people's stories of their encounter with God. How do we tell our own stories of our encounter with God? Mm. How do we listen to how the gospel is is, is taking hold of people? How do we tell our secrets? So that there can be healing, I think that I think that you know what when when we queer 
people walk into church open we're we're there's a there's a story about our life that is being told mm-hmm. right automatically i i think i think one of the things i'm finding is because i'm willing to be authentic my clergy are willing to be more authentic and risk mm-hmm. risk more of who they are and be more vulnerable mm-hmm. but that should happen in every church in every pew in every pulpit we ought to be able to bring our whole selves with god both the the secrets that we're so ashamed of because shame separates us from god right Mm -hmm. how can we how can we have the safety of community to tell those stories because when we tell them we we immediately um are released and there's joy in that release Mm-hmm. So, so my hope is that our churches can be truth-telling places, mm-hmm. and and find joy in you know just how the absurdity of life, the blessing of, that God bestows on us, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's where I, I that's where I think if anything is going to make the church come alive again, it's the willingness for us to talk about our lives and how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, you are a joy to know. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, it's great to be here. This is a great conversation. <laughs> I'm having a wonderful time. <laughs> Me too. So what else is on your heart to say to people? What What is something that we've not touched on yet that you really want to get across or you really want people to hear from you? You know, we are seeing tremendous pushback. Um, We're seeing it in race relations. We're seeing it in, you know, queer issues, especially our trans siblings. Uh, Their lives are on the line in ways that are are really critical right now. We're seeing it in our schools, the book banning. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we have got to see how our, you know, the intersectionality of life and stand with those who are also um, being being uh, oppressed and mm-hmm. and whose whose very personhood is being threatened, um, and and we have so much to learn from each other when we do that. So that's something mm-hmm. I, I we have to stay vigilant. Mm-hmm. How do we stay vigilant and not get into the 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 anger of it? You know, not how do we not go into that hole of being part of the problem? You know, anger is a good motivator, but for Mm -hmm. me, it's 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 a secondary emotion, or it's the it's the visible emotion. What's really underneath anger, Mm -hmm. right? And usually, it's a discomfort. It is um, sometimes fear, Mm -hmm. sometimes hurt. Um, and so I, I don't find anger is the most effective way to work on social change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because all it does is add to the anger of those who are fearful of us and who are expressing it through anger. And so to, to recognize, okay, what am I really feeling? I'm angry over this injustice, but, but it's more than that. I, I, I'm hurt that my community is rejecting me. You know, or I'm hurt. You know, uh, or I'm fearful for my life. Yes. Um, and and to to be in touch with that, but anger, I find um, there's energy 
in anger, but it can also um, not only escalate, but it can also turn inward mm-hmm. and, and, and do some self-harm yeah. with anger. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as we, as we look at Jesus, you know, how many times he tried to calm the anger and do it in, in a way of conversation, in a way of being inclusive, even with the people who are angry at him or, you know, it was, it was a whole different way to do social justice than what we've evolved. Right. Right. And so one to stand rooted and grounded in love mm-hmm. and what to me that, that that doesn't mean it's not a you know just roll over and play dead kind of thing I, I mean to stay grounded in love refuses to create um an othering of people who are against us mm-hmm. right it means i'm gonna i'm gonna meet you in your full personhood and see you as a child of god not only that i am gonna see the image of god in you um, and so that's the, that's the first thing that I think is really important. Um, and then stay grounded in your joy. You know, here's what I have recognized. My joy is their kryptonite. <laughs> right? They come at me. They come at me so ready with, you know, with, you know, literally with their... You know, there are kind of armed um, emotionally and and in other ways. But my joy totally disarms them. I've seen people crumble. Like I've seen, I've been in groups where you know people have looked at me and I could see them. Like they're they're just starting to really like. And I they, then they see my joy that I and love that I offer people, and they don't know what to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that because I, you know, that's, that was the big, the big trial for me is to find, especially in the last few years, I I was reminded over and over that the person that I had the most anger at uh, politically um, was loved by God just as much as God loves me. And I'm like, no way, no way. Yes, yes. Isn't that the challenge? That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And I just kept trying to tell myself that. I kept, and then I would like go back away from that. And then I would come back and tell myself that. Yeah. It was the hardest thing to, to stay present in remembering that I am no better or no worse than any other person to God. I am a child of God. I'm beloved by God. And so is the person that I'm having the most disagreements with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. If we can do that, um, Mr. Karen, if we can do that, stay grounded in your joy and, and let that, and let that just be present. And as while as, and still while we're advocating, as you said, vigilantly, we cannot sit and rest on our laurels during this time because we are, they are trying to erase us out. Yes. I mean, you can't say gay in Florida. Now we're, now we're oh. banning books. You know, you can't. I'm like, really? They can't erase us. And yet they're trying. They can't. And if we right. get quiet and we just cower down and do nothing, then yes, they can. They're making laws. And I'm, I'm right. hoping that the, the problem is that it may go to the Supreme Court. Well, that's great. But how many years will it take? And how many lives are destroyed? And how many, damage? how much damage will it do? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So praying, 
even if you can't be on the ground in Florida, you know, signing whatever petitions we can, being vigilant and being active. We have to be lovingly, joyfully active in our, yes. in our displeasure of that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, this has been so awesome. And I so appreciate your time. Do you have any other final words you want to leave with us? Oh, we've covered so much, so <laughs> much. I'm very grateful for your invitation to be a part of this. And I oh. uh, just... Uh, let's do it again sometime. I would love to. And I was just going to say, please don't be a stranger. I want to have you more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We absolutely do can do it again. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you so much, Bishop Karen. I really appreciate you. And guys, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you to thank you always for listening, for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more information and links to connect with Karen, um, then uh, go to the Gay With God podcast and show page, and we'll have some links put there at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And if you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. Mm. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community and check out our Facebook group, Gay With God. We're doing a monthly Faith Journey Zoom group, so we would love to have you come join us. We're having a really good, thoughtful discussion every week and helping each other out. And if you need a little coaching support to get through your coming out Faith Journey story, you can go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. So thanks, everybody. Love you. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4 a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.